It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Opportunistic. That's the nothing personal word of the day for Friday, 22324, February 23rd, 2024, otherwise known as 72 hours before my birthday, also known as 45 minutes before the weekend. Yeah. I'm not going to whisper in a harsh tone today like I did yesterday. Though it is still 5 o'clock in the morning here in San Diego. Had a great day around San Diego. Coca, we have a lot of people listening. We have to review our charts of what percentages of people are from where. Because I knew we had a following in San Diego. But not enough where I was contacted about 19 times of people saying, hey, because I posted pictures. I went to Old Town. I went to the Gas Lamp. I went to Balboa Park. I did all sorts of things after doing a, a run around Rancho Santa Fe for 10 miles. It was quite a day. By the way, use sunscreen even when it's 50 degrees. My body forgot that the sun can be out because I've been in New York for so long. It sort of like forgot about Florida. But everyone wanted to meet. Hey, let's have a drink. So I would sort of respond, hey, I'm in this general area. But we kept moving around, so I never was able to see anyone, but thank you to everyone in San Diego who reached out. As a matter of fact, at I think about 11.30 local time, which is 2.30 Eastern, I'm doing a show in San Diego, uh, Sports Radio 760, because the program director also found out I was in San Diego. Not that I was hiding it, given that I posted it. That's being opportunistic if you are a radio station. Hey, let's get the guy who's sitting here in our town. Got the chance to walk around Petco Park yesterday as well memories of the way it used to be. <sighs> Love Petco Park. There's nothing like hitting the Western Metal Supply building on a fly when you're on the road and you know right off the bat that it's just, that's a home run. <clears throat> so spring training is underway. We had our first game yesterday. Did you see the Dodgers play the Padres? Now, you may say, well, that's a coincidence because the Dodgers are playing the Padres in Korea on March 20th. Not a coincidence. They're the two teams who came to spring training the earliest. Therefore, of course, they're the only two teams ready to play games. Therefore, they have to play each other. So the Joe Musgrove, maybe the best starting pitcher for San Diego, takes the mound Hey, let's just get it, get him in his work. The way you do it with pitchers in spring training, you get your work in. There are some veteran pitchers who only throw fastballs during their first appearance in spring training. Some throw breaking balls during fastball counts or fastballs during breaking ball counts. Some throw breaking balls at breaking ball counts. Some don't care if there's a man on base. They pitch the same as though there's no one on base. They're just working on stuff. The results of spring training for established veterans who are on your team do not matter. It is not correlated. Much like when you, when you win, hey, 
4869. Much like when you win the Grapefruit League, that does not mean you are going to make the playoffs. No player, no manager, no GM, no president gives a flying rat's pituitary crap about spring training results. Our plan is set out in the beginning. Who's playing when? How many at-bats are each is each guy getting? We have a damn chart in the coach's room that keeps track of the at-bats for every single position player in camp. Then we have a big whiteboard that keeps track of innings pitched for every pitcher in camp. And the only concern is that when we break spring training, every single player, short of injury, did exactly what we planned for them to do. There's no spot for average or home runs or in, or wins or strikeouts or walks. It's only innings and at-bats. No results. Spring training opens with games. Dodgers, by the way, Dodgers crushed the Padres, just crushed them. Oh, no, the big bad Dodgers are 1-0 in spring training. They're going to win 179 games. Padres stink. They're despondent. The whole city was a wreck yesterday. They were walking around like dawn of the dead. We lost Peter. We're so sad. And now we're going to lose every game. Not. Well, they're sad about Peter for sure, but not about the result of that game. Who cares? Musgrove, by the way, didn't get out of the first inning. Who cares? When you get to spring training, you are coming off an off-season where you have put your team on the whiteboard, you've put your rotation up, you have a list of the pitchers who you think are going to have to pitch at some point in the season. You generally need to have 13 to 15 names on the starting pitcher list. Generally, that's the number of pitchers who will start a game for you over the course of a season. You think about what your opening day rotation is. You do a depth chart at each position, who your start our starters are, in the field, and then who's playing behind them. Then you've got an area for the bench, and then you put the bench player's name at different spots on the field to show where that bench player can play, and even in a pinch in a different color. So if you have an emergency catcher who's your backup third baseman, the backup third baseman is in the same color as the backup first baseman, but then you could have the third string catcher. It'll be the same name, but in a different color on the board. Hey, not really a catcher, but an emergency catcher. Anyway, there's a whole system. Year one in the league, back in 2000, system, learn it. Year two, year three, learning the system, switch to the Marlins, same system, same baseball people, win a World Series next spring, same system. Everything's the same. Groundhog Day. There's also one other thing that I learned over the course of the career that is always the same. You can take the whiteboard and you can wipe your... MLB uniformed open crack with it because it never works out the way that you plan during the offseason. Never, not one time. Here's the crazier part. It doesn't work for any of the teams, yet all the teams do the same exact thing. Riddle me that, that none of the brilliant Ivy League analytic guys have found a way to make the offseason better smarter. We spend hours doing our depth chart and it can get blown up as early as day one of spring training. 
Which brings me to Matthew Coca's favorite team, the New York Metropolitans. Word came out yesterday that Senga, the guy who signed for $75 million over five years from Japan, Kodai Senga, your ace this year because Verlander and Scherzer are being paid not to pitch by the Mets. You still have Luis Severino, huge, huge free agent signing. He was a superstar for the Yankees. The expectations is that he will be a number one starter for sure for the New York Mets. I'm talking 200 innings and 20-plus victories. Senga's lined up to be the ace, throws a side session. The side session are the things that the other GMs are telling you about. Oh, my God, his velocity looks so good. Yamamoto just pitched batting practice, and he was getting so many whiffs on the breaking ball. Ooh, this looks like a good breaking ball. Look at the way the hitters looked against blank pitcher. Those are side sessions or live BP. They're meaningless. But of course, it's great PR to get excitement out there about the season. I'm sorry. Too much smoke, Coca? Is it too much smoke that what they're saying about Yamamoto right now in the Dodgers is total horse hockey? Oh, God, it's a knee-buckling breaking ball. So Senga's throwing a side session. The rule is, here's another rule. There's a lot of rules in spring training. After your side session, you go do a little conditioning. Then you go back to the clubhouse. And if anything hurts from your eyes to your Pop it to your toes. You make a left turn instead of a right turn. The right turn goes into the clubhouse. The left turn goes into the training room. <clears throat> you walk into the training room, and you've got a bunch of trainers there, and they look at you and say, hey, what's up, Senga? You know, I got a little, got a little tightness. All right, no problem. Go home. We'll see you tomorrow. Next day, Senga walks in. Hey, how you feeling? You know, I still got a little tightness. I don't feel great. Hold on one second. Bring, bring. Hey, David, we got a live one. Senga's shoulders tight. Oh, for crying out loud. All right, send him. That's the code word. That's what we use inside baseball. Send him. What does that mean? Send him to get an MRI. We don't like sending players to get MRIs because nothing good ever comes from an MRI. It's not like an MRI is done and then the result is, hey, it wasn't tight. Hey, it turns out he had a stubbed toe, not a shoulder impingement. Hey, it turns out he just had a headache from an allergic reaction from Cheesecake Factory. It's not a posterior capsule strain. That's never happened in my whole career where someone came out of the tube and we said, can't believe that. Shouldn't have even sent him there. Senga gets out of the tube. The results come immediately. Remember all that fun stuff we have during the season when a player gets an MRI and the team says, we'll have information when we get the information. And I laugh with you because the team already has the information. When they say they don't have the information, they're just not willing to admit or publicize what the information is because they're despondent. And they want to make sure they're figuring out roster moves before announcing injuries because they don't want to be looked at as desperate because then other teams pray like there's some sort of frog with a scorpion. 
hey, that's my nature. It's my nature to call a team who loses a pitcher to injury and say, hey, you need a pitcher? That happens all the time between the teams. It doesn't matter if David Stearns is your GM or if it's Chaim Bloom or David Sampson or anyone else. The minute a team has an injury in spring training, they get, wait for it, 29 phone calls. Hey, sorry about that. That really sucks. Oh, hold on a second. I'm getting word in my ear. Up. We have an elbow strain with the Royals. Hey, hold on, David. I'll call you right back. Hey, I'm really sorry about that. Oh, hold on. I'm getting a call. There's an injury with the Yankees. Brian, man, I am so sorry about that. That's what you're doing. You're making these calls because you're being opportunistic. You're hoping that there's an overpay because teams get desperate. So in the GM playbook, roughly around page four, paragraph A, sentence two, upon announcing an injury, you must also announce that you are very comfortable with the players who are remaining on your team and that while you hope for a speedy recovery, you have the replacement players in hand and you are not looking to add via trade or free agency. You have to say that because you don't want to get taken advantage of. And anytime you make a move right after an injury, you're getting screwed. So David Stearns in his first year with New York, pretty excited about having Scherzer and Verlander and Senga, Quintana, just great rotation. Everything's great. Huge payroll above the Steve Cohn tax. Alonzo signed to a long-term deal. Sold out City Field. Chop shops have disappeared. The casinos opened. Everything is perfect. And then he wakes up at four in the morning and says, oh, God, was that a great dream. Rubs his eyes. Calls the trainer. And says, how long is he going to be out? Well, Senga came back from the MRI. He has a posterior capsule strain. And you know what that means? That is the third worst thing that can happen to a pitcher in spring training. Blowing out your elbow is bad, where the ligament just pops. I mean, Achilles pop is bad. You're going to miss time. But with pitchers, elbow, bad. Shoulder, worse. When a player has a bad shoulder, you require full recovery before any type of ramp up. And what that means is that all strainness, all pain, it must disappear. So what the Mets told you yesterday is we don't expect him to be ready for opening day. That's also in the GM playbook. Because it is true Senga won't be ready for opening day. But what's also true is he won't be ready a week after opening day or two weeks after opening day or three weeks after opening day or four weeks after opening day because Senga will have had zero spring training. His arm is not built up at all. So when he does finally report zero pain, then they send him to another MRI to make sure there's no more posterior capsule strain. Then he starts ramping up with bullpens. Then he can get on the mound for an inning 
or two innings, then wait five days, three innings, wait five days, four innings, wait five days, five innings. By the time he's built up, it's another month after the month required to get better. The odds of Senga being put on the 60-day IL are much better than the odds of him being ready soon after opening day. But what we do with the player if we don't have a roster crunch is we don't immediately put him on the 60-day IL because a player on the 60-day injured list can't play for 60 days. And you can backdate it, not to today, but you can backdate it to a few days before the season starts. I think the day this year, I'm not sure, it could be March 25th is when a player can be put on the 60-day IL. Maybe players can be put on it now. But the 60-day, I wonder when it starts tolling. I'll get you an answer for that when we do a show on my birthday on Monday. But suffice it to say, you don't put a player on the 60-day IL until you absolutely need the roster spot and you're sure he's going to miss 60 days. With the posterior capsule strain, I believe it is a sure thing he will miss 60 days, but miracles can happen. And if you don't need the spot, the roster spot, put him on the 15-day. But then what Stern said is, <laughs> when asked, hey, you going to add? because your rotation blows. He said, I don't think so. We're always going to be opportunistic and hear what's out there, but I don't think it really changes our thought process. Good job, David. You got to page four, paragraph A of the GM playbook. Now, in real life, is Steve Cohn losing his mind? Does he want another pitcher? Is he excited to read the articles where the Mets rotation now looks like a triple A rotation because Senga is not in it? The supposed ace? It's a nightmare. I'm sorry, Mets fans. I really am. Okay. Jerry? Jerry Reinstorf has a birthday coming up in two days. His birthday is one day before mine. It always has been. He has the same birthday as my late sister, who would be turning 59 on Sunday, February 25th. I miss the fact that uh, I am going to now catch up to her age, which I never thought would ever happen. It shouldn't happen. So I needed to talk about Jerry Reinsdorf because he put himself back in the news yesterday and it was wonderful. We've spent plenty of time talking about Reinsdorf, talking about the White Sox. We talked yesterday about the money that he's looking for he keeps talking to the media. We found out some amazing nuggets yesterday. He's looking for $2 billion, $1.1 billion to build the new stadium on the South Loop, and then about $900 billion in infrastructure improvements that will be able to support all of the development around the new stadium the hotels, the retail, the commercial, the parks, all of the development. And he's darn right that when you think about what public subsidies are, often you read numbers that are untrue. You read what the public is doing as part of the construction of the stadium. You don't often read what the public is doing for infrastructure because infrastructure is what supports a stadium or a development. It's getting sewage lines and utility lines. It's getting the ground ready to be built on. There are myriad things and tens, sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars that are required for infrastructure. It happened with the Yankees and the Mets, by the way, for all you New Yorkers. 
for the 18.69% of you in the Northeast area. When you were told that the Mets and Yankees built their entire stadiums privately, it was total horse hockey. They got hundreds of millions of dollars of public money into those stadiums, but they did it in the form of both infrastructure improvements and no tax, something called a pilot, which is a payment in lieu of a tax. So it's like the Yankees and Mets had to pay just to set rent instead of what would normally be tax on, a, on an area, on a property. But in any case, it is all how we present. Everything's done for PR. So Jerry said he wanted to really explain the deal. So he did. He said, at the end of the day, the benefits of the city and state are going to outweigh the cost, Reinsdorf said. This is not just a ballpark. This is a development of which the ballpark is the anchor. He's right. But the beneficiary of a development is the owner of the team. And they're the beneficiary of the development, which is revenue outside of baseball that doesn't count to revenue sharing. And they're the beneficiary of a new ballpark because where the White Sox play is completely dated, cannot generate revenue, and therefore the White Sox can't compete, which can provide an easy answer and explanation as to why they haven't competed. So this all tracks. You get to say to your fans, I need you. I need your money. And the reason I do is because I want to do this for you. I want a team that you can be proud of in a ballpark that can generate revenue from you that I can be proud of. He then said the economics of baseball have completely changed with top ball players signing contracts worth as much as 700 million. He must be talking about Otani. Of course, he could have talked about the present value of the deal, which is around 460, which is a smaller number. But when you're looking for money, you want to give examples to the fans and to the politicians. Hey, dude, people are getting 700 million. We can't do that unless we get a new ballpark and a couple billion dollars. Jerry said at the location we're at now, we can't generate the revenue needed to pay those salaries. Well, there's 29 other teams that can't either. So that's not too convincing. A new space in a livelier downtown area with shops, bars, and other entertainment venues within walking distance will, should, do best. yippee ki Here's a small little problem that's happening in Chicago, and it can't go unmentioned enough. The Bears, the Bears, and the White Sox, the Pale Hose, are looking for the same pots of money to do their new stadiums. So now the politicians have to think, wait a minute, if we give everything to the White Sox, what happens to the Bears? Do they just go to Arlington? If we give everything to the pairs, do the White Sox go to Nashville? But then Jerry pulled out the big guns, baby. And he acknowledged what we've talked about before, which is the likelihood is that when Jerry Reinsdorf passes away, which I hope will be in a long, long time, as much as you don't love me anymore, Jerry, I love you. I want you to live forever because then it means I have a chance. I mean, no, I'd like you to live forever anyway. He said, you know, the White Sox are going to be sold after I die. That first time he actually had acknowledged such a thing publicly that I've ever seen. And I would hate for one of these new big money people to be able to move the team. That would be extremely sad. Well, there is a way to avoid that. A new ballpark with a new long-term lease, which says the team cannot move. Then the White Sox are here forever. Well, 
baseball and Jerry and all potential buyers out there in Nashville or whoever else doesn't get expansion. Here's another way to keep a team in Chicago. As part of an estate plan, you can have that the buyer of the asset must buy the asset on the condition that the asset stays in Chicago. That's totally kosher, man. Totally allowed. It doesn't help you get a new ballpark now while you're living. Now, it is true that getting a new ballpark and a long-term lease is certainly a more definite way to keep the team in Chicago. But I find it interesting that now what an octogenarian is doing to get public money is threatening end of life. Hey, man, I'm going to die soon. I am OAF. And I'm just, I'm here for you. Now, granted, the other 70 acres that I need for the ballpark and all that development and all that infrastructure, listen, that's going to be so good for you guys. You have no idea. Wink, wink. I'm not down on Jerry. You know that. This is the same playbook that we all use. Every single team in every single sport does the same thing. We just don't often get an owner who's so out front about what the purpose is of the new ballpark and so open about what the amount is. It wasn't like a negotiation saying, hey, we need $2 billion. Whatever you can come up with, let's talk. Hey, Vegas, can you come up with $380? We'll do the rest. I'm not sure we can do the rest, but we'll try to do the rest. All we can give you is $380. No problem. Jerry went balls to the wall and said, I want the full $2 billion. He could have just said $1.1 billion because that's for the ballpark and let the public people talk about the $900 million infrastructure. Let the politicians do that. Nope. Jerry's going all in. Please be healthy, Jerry, and happy happy early birthday. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, I'm going to review a movie that blew my mind. It's a total I told you so movie. And then I've got an update on the pirate stuff that we did yesterday because wouldn't you know it, one day after the article of how cheap the pirates are, the pirates announced a long-term deal with their best pitcher. Coincidence? Wait to see. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson and Matt Koch on a very early morning here in the Pacific. 
San Diego. Thank you for being up on the East Coast or West Coast. We are live every day, 8 a.m. This is show 997 of an actual, the actual shows is way more, but the, this format of word of the day and pick of the day and reviews. We'll be back Monday because we're here just about every day, live at 8 a.m. no matter where I am. Now I'll take a break now and then, but not a lot because I miss all of you. And there's so many stories to go over and I still watch a movie every day. So I want to always review a movie for you. And we're heading right into Oscars. Anyone see the big announcement by Metalark about Oscars yet? And what's going on there? Have I been invited to any sort of Oscar-related activity that Metalark is doing? Is it in Vegas? Is it in California? Is it in Miami? Is it in New York? Is it nowhere? Is it everywhere? Let me know if you see any PR, because I'm sure I'll be involved in that. Yeah. Who owns Bitcoin by a show of hands? Let me look at the studio audience of the people who I'm waking up in the room next door and the room over here. Sorry. Yes, it's early. I do hear the knocking on the wall. I'm not stopping for 18 more minutes. I could do a bit of a harder whisper. We're talking like this. But I think it would still wake you. Show of hands, how many people own Bitcoin? Anyone? Coca? Do you own a bunch of Bitcoin? What's your, what's your account worth? What do you got, like a couple hundred bucks? Remember the time when Bitcoin, every, every one of these cons, has one thing in common. In order for a con to happen, you need a criminal. You need someone without morals. Basically, you need a piece of garbage person. And then on the other hand, you need someone who's so desperate to be rich, who is so stupid as to think that something that is too good to be true is true. If you have those different components, you have the ability to do some really great cons. I don't mean like Sawyer-like cons from Lost. Those are good. I mean like dirty, rotten, scoundrel-type cons in con. Well, there's a new documentary on Netflix called BitConned. Wouldn't you know it? A bunch of guys in Florida got together, Miami-style, and said, we've got an idea. We're going to start an exchange. And all we need is for you to give us money. And what we're going to do is give you a way to convert Bitcoin to cash whenever you want. We're going to develop this credit card. And this credit card can be used anywhere to buy anything you want. And the credit card has your Bitcoin. But then when you swipe the credit card, the service provider gets paid in dollars. It's brilliant. Let me invest some money in that. Let me buy one of those cards. Let me put some, let me give you money because you telling me a credit card's coming. You're backed by Visa. You're backed by a bank. Finally, someone invented a way where people can still have Bitcoin, but when they need to buy something in dollars, they've got it available to them. Couple issues. Number one, there's no such thing. I mean, that's sort of a big one. Number two, Visa, credit card. Visa had never heard of these people, had never done a deal with these people. Ooh, that's a tough one. Number three, it doesn't work. So guess what? 
These criminals got caught because everyone lost their money and they got rich. And you know what they got rich in? This is the greatest part about all the Bitcoin bullshit that you hear over the years. All these exchanges, the same bank, four, eight, six, nine, this, the SBFs, Bank Freed, the guy who I hope rots in jail forever. All of these criminals. Do you know what's amazing? They're sort of like cult leaders. Have you ever realized that cult leaders, like part of their cult, no matter what their religion is, is they have to have sex with your wife. And they have to have like 10 wives at the same time. And you can't have sex with your own wife. Think about that. It's funny to think about. That's quite a cult. The thing about the cryptocurrency criminals is, you know what they don't have is cryptocurrency. They convert and have your cash. You get the currency that you can't do anything with. They get cash where they can buy cars, houses, yachts. They can do sports sponsorship deals. They can live the high life in Lamborghinis while you're there wondering, wow, did I just get Tinder swindled? I'd like you to watch Bitcoin the movie because maybe, and obviously this is a dream, but maybe there is a world that I can imagine where there will always be the criminals. There will always be the con people. But what about a world where the connies disappear? Because what's a con man without someone to con? And what if we had a world where everybody stopped, dropped, and rolled before giving money to someone on the hope of getting rich? There is no shortcut to hard work. Anything that is too good to be true is not true. How many times do you have to be burned to know that? What about my friends, the 6.9% of you in Denver? You know exactly where I'm going with this. I know Javier Soto didn't do this. Did you hear about the pastor? Pastors are always the good one. Men of God. Oh, they're good ones. They don't have affairs. They don't do anything nefarious. They don't take your money. They don't have private jets. They don't, they are totally full of ridiculous crap. Don't you worry about that. These evangelicals, totally above board. There was a pastor in Denver recently that started a crypto and it was a total scam. And his explanation of why you needed to give him your hard-earned money is that God told him and his wife to start this company. And if God is saying it, guess what? It's got to be true. I don't know. I've been around on Monday. It'll be 56 years. God's never spoken to me. Never told me to do something. Hey, take money from the taxpayers. Nope, never heard that from God. Guy charged, took 3.2 million people from you people in Denver. Come on, let's be better, as Coco would say. Let's not get conned. Let's take away the right of these con men to win. But watch the documentary and try to picture yourself. Here's what you're all going to do when you watch BitCon on Netflix is you're going to say, that would never be me. That would never be me. Until it is. All right. Update time. We did a segment yesterday that got quite a bit of attention from baseball. It's nice to know, Coca, that we built a show here that Major League Baseball listens to, that team executives listen to waiting to hear what truths I'm going to unveil 
waiting to see whether they should fire their PR people. I did an article about my friend Ken Rosenthal and what he wrote about the Pittsburgh Pirates, and I defended Bob Nutting. And I told Pirates fans to just understand the windows of winning and losing. No sooner did the article come out in The Athletic impugning Bob Nutting and his ability to run a team that there was a press release that that day, the same day that the article came out, that their star right-handed pitcher, Mitch Keller, the all-star, the great Mitch Keller, the K machine, has signed a five-year, $77 million contract extension. Well, while you were all sleeping, those Pittsburgh Pirates that are being criticized by everyone have made three signings for their young players, keeping them there long-term. Did they choose right? We'll find out. You're betting on a pitcher, Mitch Keller. You're betting on a third baseman, Cabrian Hayes, gave him $70 million. Remember the whole Brian Reynolds deal? Should we trade him? Should we not last year, their best player? Brian Reynolds saying, oh, I want to sign here. I love Pittsburgh. No, he just wanted a guaranteed contract immediately. He wanted to get paid. And the Pirates paid him $106 million. These are three very recent deals for a team that everyone complains about. And you've got a core of players who are going to be there through the end of this decade. Now, are you upset because you think the GM didn't choose correctly? Then Bob Nutting is Artie Moreno. Are you upset that he doesn't do enough or that he hasn't decided that, all right, I'm going to go with this group of young players. I'm going to go with my evaluators. We're going to lock them up and we're going to roll. Then you get to complain about, oh, but he's not going to sign any more people to surround them when they're ready to win. Is there any winning with the media and with fans? I guess just winning the championship. I guess that's it, but that's the problem. You win it, and then people are pissed because you don't bring the same team back or you don't win it back to back. That's my update on the Pirates. Live and let live. Maybe the Pirates are going to be good. Maybe Mitch Keller's going to have another great year. And maybe Paul Skennis, name check, the number one pick in last year's draft, maybe he's going to be Josh Beckett. You never know. All right, nothing personal pick of the day. Were you nervous about the Mavs two and a half over the Suns? Were you thinking that the Suns are so good with Frank Vogel and Kevin Durant and Devin Booker? We went through the whole thing yesterday. We gave the pick. I hope you were on it because we won. The Mavs won by 10. Luka and Kyrie are gelling. I think they've won maybe seven straight. They're a force. Get ready. We are now 25 and 28. Tonight, the second half starts for my favorite team, the Milwaukee Bucks of Rivers. Doc Rivers and the Bucks are a disaster. Lillard and Giannis have not gelled. They're sort of like oil and water. They've got about 30 games to get their act together or else it's going to be another disappointing end of season. And Giannis can't say, oh, they better try harder. I'm going to leave. Giannis signed that extension. Love the idea of getting Lillard. I'm not sure in any way that Damian Lillard likes Milwaukee. I think he should call Yellian, maybe go out in the third ward. Oh, Milwaukee people, I'm so sorry. The fifth ward. 
now I don't remember what it's called. It's the awesome place to go out right near the end of 94. East where 94 and 43 are right around there. There's a great district. Anyway, the Bucks are playing the potential best team in the West to start the last third of the season. And the Bucks are getting four from the Timberwolves. I am going to be stubborn to the point of night sweats. I'm going to say Bucks plus four versus T-Wolves. I'm going to say that the Bucks, it's their time. This is their moment to start playing better and to wake up and smell the beer. That's my pick for Friday. All right. A lot of excitement in Miami yesterday. Who's ready? Marlins needed a shortstop, and they signed Tim Anderson. They gave Tim Anderson $5 million. $5 million to Tim Anderson. May have been the worst position player in baseball last year. Not exactly perfect in the clubhouse. A big free agent signing. The first free agent signing by the Marlins is Tim Anderson. For those of you who don't know, and if you think I'm bitter toward the Marlins, you're slightly mistaken. Now that Jeter's gone, I want the Marlins to win every game. I want them to win back-to-back-to-back World Series. Because if they win all those World Series, A, I'm a part of one of the most successful franchises of all time, and B, it's further proof that Jeter was the single worst executive, which puts me not even on the podium anymore. So don't misunderstand why I'm upset that the Marlins gave Tim Anderson $5 million. I'd rather have Gio for a million and a half. He went to the Tigers. Now he's not a true shortstop. I'd rather have Birdie. Come on, Marlins fans. I know you're excited. I'm sure you're upset that I'm, you know, yucking on your yum. But I would like to point out that there is a reason why the White Sox were willing to pay him $3 million to go away instead of $11 million to stay. That's the math on what the player, what the team option was for Anderson on the White Sox. Pay him 14 or pay him three, which means you could have him play for you for the equivalent of 11. So Anderson gets $3 million from the White Sox on the buyout, then $5 million from the Marlins. So he's on a one-year $8 million deal is one of the ways to look at it. And he's got to prove himself. And the way to prove himself is to do everything differently than he did last season. We'll see. I'm, I'm going to do it to end the show because it's going to be a thing on Levitard, Coca, and I just want I want to get it out there. I want to get my site out there so they can – Levitard, I'm sure if you're watching, you can play this tape. Jessica, if you are watching or you're in the office, I don't know if you're in the studio today, Jessica Smetana and I had a bet, and we did a segment where there was some concern over the uniforms, and we did this on Levitard this past week, and the uniforms are getting a lot of attention in Major League Baseball. And what is causing the most attention is that the uniform pants apparently are see-through. And there's a thought that there's going to be a lot of private parts, not Howard Stern style, that will be seen during the course of a season. And that you're going to see a lot of cracks, literal cracks. And I said, including on a way to see on nothing personal, I said, guess what? MLB is not replacing the uniforms. I told you that Tony Clark is up in arms about the uniforms, but it's an absolute bait and switch. Tony Clark is angry about the uniforms because Tony Clark is angry that Boris's clients haven't been signed, that there's so many unsigned free agents. 
and that owners aren't giving in to the demands, the outrageous salary demands of these players. Tony's pissed. Doesn't really want to come right out and say, this is an outrage that you're not signing these players. So he wants to find another way to poke at baseball, and the uniform is the nicest way. However, the union was totally involved in the making of the uniforms, tested, tried, etc. But now people are on social media crushing the uniforms, saying, what's going to happen when it rains? What's going to happen when a player doesn't wear undies? And I said to Jessica, you will not even see one ass crack the whole season. The over-unders point half, point half of one ass. And Jessica made the bet. We did the Mortimer bet. And then she tweeted at me because God forbid she texted me. She tweeted at me and said, looks like I won my bet and showed this picture. So there's a picture going around. And believe me, it looks a little doctored. And this is my fault for not warning Coco that this is where my brain was going to go because he could have had the picture. For those of you watching Nothing Personal with David Sampson on the YouTube channel, but you can look up the picture of see-through uniform player bent over. Just Google that and you'll see something. And then you're going to call your ninth grade teacher and you're going to say, hey, I know I didn't pay much attention in biology, but can you just give me a quick explainer of what I'm looking at in this photo? Maybe for next time we can add that photo and it can be right, right up there over my left shoulder. But I didn't want to look like I was feuding with Jessica. So I Venmoed her a dollar. Oh, Coca's got it. Can you make it bigger? Can anyone see that? Because I can't see that. The bottom left. Okay, that's the see-through uniform. That's not as see-through. You can't really see it. This is the one. That's not an ass crack. I don't exactly know what that is, but all I can tell you is that I paid the dollar and I made an official protest. The official protest is that I don't want to be charged interest in case I lose and there is an actual crack, but I am not willing to commit that those pictures show that I lost the bet. So Jessica, I'm not sure you listen to nothing personal, but just in case this gets picked up by Dan's show today or next week. God knows we're going to talk about it next week when I'm on it. You got your Venmo dollar, but I'm going to want it back. And the wait to see that I had about the new uniforms, which Coca told me pre-show as we were preparing, Coca said, David, you should have listened to me. You have no chance, toilet pants. You're going to lose that wait to see. And I said to him, Coca, I can one up your no chance, toilet pants. And I can say, when it comes to switching out the uniforms, ass or not, it's just business. Have a great weekend. Let's be safe out there. I'll see some of you soon. Some of you sooner. I'll be back for my birthday show live at 8 a.m. Special birthday show. Probably not special. It'll be another good show because we have a weekend of stuff to talk about. That'll be Monday, 8 a.m. Eastern. This is nothing personal. 